You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 177. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. This week, I am in Healdsburg, which is in Sonoma County in wine country here in California. I've been spending this week with my best friend Maggie here and enjoying all of the little restaurants and coffee shops and the small community that's here that is so friendly. It's been fun to come back. This is actually the second time I've been here in the last few months. So I'm starting to get to know people and places and it's kind of becoming a little microcosm community for me as I travel. And actually I'm speaking to you in case you're curious from Maggie's guest room closet. So that is one of the new locations that I'm recording this show for you this week. It actually has pretty good acoustics compared to the rest of the house, which is really cute, but a little bit older. So it's a little bit more echoey overall. So anyways, so as I'm sitting here with you, I have a fun Q&A episode. This one's really great. I know we've had different themes kind of crop up in the Q&A questions that come in through Instagram. And this month's questions are really interested into how you can apply some of the concepts I've been speaking about in your own life. So this one's not so much about my travels or how I'm doing things, but more on the aspects of how you can do different things in your life. So let's get started. First question we have is from Suzanne Polden, who said, Jess, would love your advice on routine and an erratic, ever-changing lifestyle. How do you integrate your must-dos when on the road and not in your home and not on another schedule? So how do I integrate my must-dos when on the road? First of all, I will say I use flow, first of all. So you guys have heard me say get into alignment before taking action. That is still a huge part of this for me. I find that I don't actually need routine if I have alignment. So my routines, if you can call them that, are all centered on getting into alignment before taking any actions I have to do that day. So you can listen to alignment before action. So justlively.com slash alignment before action will get you the episode where I talk about how I do that specifically in more detail. But that is my big thing is getting into alignment and then doing the must-dos. So when it comes to how I do them, it really depends on what the day is and once I've gotten into alignment, what feels right from there. Typically I will, once I'm in a really great feeling place, write out a list of things I'd like to accomplish that day. And then once I've written out those things that come to mind, I then order them in priority from most important or things I want to do first to the things that are least important or things I want to do last. So I'm not always doing a straight, the most important thing is first. If it feels more flowing and more enjoyable to do something different first than the most important thing, I will be happily doing that other thing first and then getting to the big things. But of course, I am trying not to push the most important thing to the last thing on the list because it's very easy to just not do it at all. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about there. So that's my answer for that question. Next up, we have Nicole who asked, the logistics of selling quite nearly everything you own and really adapting a minimalist lifestyle is helpful to learn. So I think what Nicole's asking for is how did I do that? How did I sell everything? 
Well, one thing that made it extremely easy for me is the fact that the person who bought the house wanted all the furniture and everything inside. So that was like one fell swoop. That was probably 92% of everything was done and dealt with right from that. So anything that I did not want her to own in the house, like my personal shoes or clothes, coats, personal artwork, like pictures of my grandpa or things that were personally, you know, mementos, pictures from childhood, that sort of stuff was placed in the basement underneath the staircase. So that amount of stuff was probably 8% of what I still owned was there. And then most recently, I went back and got rid of all of that stuff too, for the most part. So after I did the full wholesale sale of pretty much everything except for toothbrushes and clothing, I went back, I sold my car. So that one I did do, I sold that because it was a 2015 car. It was a very nice, expensive car I planned to have for a long time. It was still worth a lot of money. So I sold that and then gifted my second computer. So I decided to get a MacBook for this travel because I knew that I wanted something as lightweight as possible. And I didn't need a MacBook Pro because I have uh, Lana, our graphic designer, doing graphics. So I didn't really need the Photoshop or the MacBook Pro capabilities. So I kept my MacBook Pro at home and picked up a new MacBook that's pretty much like the size of an iPad almost. It's crazy lightweight and does everything that I needed to do while on the road. But as I've been traveling, I've realized I don't need the other computer anymore. So I gifted it to my friend Vicki Honeyman in Ann Arbor. If you've seen the Ann Arbor vlog, you've met Vicki there with her puppies as well. Willie and Lucy were in that video too. So I gave my computer to her. I had a beautiful painting. I'm sure those people that have followed my home tours over the years remember it's an abstract piece of art done by my friend Blair Culwell out of the uh, Chicago blog, The Fox and She. So that painting I loved, but knew that it had its place in my life long enough. So I gifted that to my friend Ashley in Austin, Texas, and then gave Ashley as well some of my really, really nice dresses that I thought she would like and enjoy and some of my jewelry. The rest of the stuff I went through and basically did a Marie Kondo and said, would I want to bring this thing to London with me, essentially? Would this bring me joy in London? Was kind of my litmus test for what I was going to keep. Since I don't know where I eventually will end up, and it probably or very likely is in Europe or London, maybe, who knows, I decided that thinking about the stuff I would keep in the context of would I travel across the country or the world with it was a really good litmus test. So I went through and kept a few things, but also got rid of a lot of things that I thought I would keep. So a lot of the clothes and shoes, anything pretty much from about a year ago, no longer sparked joy. It all felt like my previous life and not really a part of me in an active sense now. So I donated the rest of that. So basically before I sold the car, I loaded up all of my stuff that was under the basement steps that were not like business invoices that I need to keep for tax purposes over the years. Or let's see, I kept like a Waterford crystal vase that my mom gave me for a birthday one year. I have a few things from my grandpa's collection of home items that really mean a lot to me. And some of the artwork I still did keep and others I did donate or give to the homeowner as well. So the rest of it, I loaded up in the car before selling it and dropped it off at the donation center. So really now I have less than a trunk worth of stuff and a dining table because I'm still keeping that dining table. I still love it so much. Although at this point, since I've given away or sold everything, I really could probably deal with that. I've learned now it's really easy to get rid of possessions now. So I could get rid of that if I had to, but I really hope that it will be in my life for longer. But I'm no longer even as tied to that, though I still do technically own it. So that's pretty much how I did that. 
it feels really freeing to be in this place. And ironically, I don't feel limited at all by not having that stuff. I know that I am where I'm supposed to be. So I think that being really present with wherever I'm at and with the possessions that are in my life right now for this season is pretty much all I need to focus on. So it's become a lot simpler and it's nice that I don't have a bunch of stuff sitting in the basement for the homeowner to have to deal with anymore. Now let's move on to Kelly and Libby who said, how do you fill time in your days? How do you not get bored or not feel lost? How do you find purpose without a set schedule? I've had this problem so badly that I've returned early from two big European trips. I want to try again. Help. Okay, so I have not really had this issue in terms of filling time with the day at all. I think it's probably because, like I've said before, I'll say it again, I really try to find flow throughout the day and do what feels good in the present moment, given what the current circumstances and the universe is flowing to me in that moment. When I try to find flow, I do spend time working on work projects like The Lively Show for you six times a month. I also have emails to coordinate with, my team to talk with. So there is some work, but it's not in a nine to five context anymore. It's more on a chunk by chunk basis every day or throughout the week. And I have life with intention and coaching times a few times a year as well. So there's kind of that work stuff which helps fill up some of the time and then also exploring. And I do walk everywhere unless it's more than like four miles away, especially in Europe. I don't try to take public transit. So if it's under three or four miles, I'm generally speaking walking to locations. And I actually learned I, if I was eating super healthy like I have been, and I was walking between five and 15 miles a day to get from place to place, like going to coffee shops, for example, to work, then I didn't have to really focus on working out. My body was in great shape. And even aerobically, it was really in great shape because whenever I would run after you know doing all of that walking on a really consistent basis, I didn't even notice my aerobic capacity decrease, which was fascinating, especially while you're hill climbing and doing more intense workouts or surfing. I still had just as much energy as before by doing so much walking around Europe. It's harder in the U.S. though, man. I really do look forward to going back to Europe so I can get more of that walking in. It's just an overall easier place to do so. Not impossible in the U.S., but it's just easy to get many, many more miles in. And then that takes up a lot of time, of course, when it comes to what am I doing to fill the days. While I'm walking, I listen to audiobooks. So I have not been visually reading nearly as much as I've been listening to audiobooks or teachers. And I spend time with friends or new people that I meet along the way. So that's another way of filling my days. Actually, this weekend, for example, I spent the day in San Francisco on my own and had a facial at a really great place called Skin Salvation, which was really enlightening for my skin issues. And then I wandered around, talked to Dana from The Minimalist Baker on the phone for a while, checked out some shops. This was a Saturday, by the way. This wasn't necessarily a work day where I was focusing on work. But after that, I kind of wandered into a bistro and had a glass of wine and was getting a dinner at the bar. And then The Godfather was playing on the TV up in the corner. It didn't have sound. So I was kind of watching what was happening. And I knew it was The Godfather, though I had never seen it actually or sat down to watch it. So someone showed up that was there to eat for a while before a concert he was going to. And I asked him to give me the play-by-play of the Godfather. So he was telling me and explaining to me what was going on in each scene, which was actually a really, really enjoyable way to watch the Godfather. Then he left and someone else showed up and then he continued to tell me the play-by-play. And then I went home on the shuttle from San Francisco to Sonoma in the evening. So that was a flowy day. 
And it was really fun. I never would have met those two people that were teaching me about the Godfather had I not been there in that bar at that exact moment in time having dinner. And I wouldn't have had the great time, you know, just kind of seeing the city. And that's kind of how it goes. It's just like what feels good right now. And then that flows into something else and something else and something else. Maybe having a work project might be useful for you or just a writing project or something that you're looking forward to learning about while you travel that might be helpful, Kelly Ann. And I know I'm also interested in learning more about Reiki. And as I look forward to 2017, I'm thinking about doing Reiki potentially if I can find a program in Australia because I think I'm going to be there coming up. So that's something that I'm excited to see if I can experience as I travel. And you can always try to work in some retreats like Vipassana meditation or the retreat I did up in Scotland this summer. So those things could also help you to add a little bit of structure or focus to your travels. Now we have Daydream for Beauty. Her name is Amber and she said, I would love recommendations for books, podcasts, and people on how to parent in a flowy, mindful way. I feel like I'm learning so much for myself, but I'm wanting to teach my kids some great habits too. Thanks, Jess. This is fascinating, and I don't know if I have that many kids' resources for you personally, but I do think that Abraham Hicks has some teachings for children. So that would be my place that I would send you if you want flowy, because that's where I've learned the flowy stuff first and foremost is from the teachings of Abraham Hicks, and I do think they have some children resources. But again, I don't know exactly what they're like, so you might want to vet them for yourself. Now we have Real Food Whole Life asks, What are you reading, listening to, snacking and sipping that you're loving lately? Okay, so this is kind of like a quick rundown of favorites since I haven't felt like I've had so many that I actually need to make a whole episode out of it. I'll quickly say the things that I am loving reading, listening, and snacking to are the autobiography of a yogi is what I've currently picked up. I haven't gotten very far into it, but I have started reading that book as well as rereading Power Versus Force, which is a book that I read years and years ago and thought it was super out there back then. And now I've just come even further in the spiritual path and I'm re-interested in learning and seeing it from fresh eyes from where I am today. And then I've also been listening to Ram Das, who is a spiritual teacher I just was introduced to by a friend, Chase Reeves. So I've been listening to Ram Das on Audible. And then as far as snacks go, I found out recently that I'm allergic to eggs, wheat, and peanuts right now. Hopefully not forever, but at least at the moment, those things have been reacting to me and may have been making my skin worse. So I'm avoiding those things. And instead, I've been leaning into Justin's hazelnut butter, that chocolate, basically Nutella type little packs that they have that are kind of travel friendly. I've just recently discovered those, and that's great for me as I travel because I don't want to buy a whole jar of peanut butter or hazelnut butter or anything like that because that's just way too heavy and constricting for travel, the little travel packets that they do make are perfect for me. I've also been loving kombucha that I just try to pick up whichever flavors or brands that they have available in the cities that I'm in. I've really enjoyed that because I also found out the probiotic and fiber I was taking were not great for my system. So I've been using kombucha instead of trying to find another supplement for those aspects of digestion. And then Lara bars are also easy snacks for me to take while I travel. So now I'm just trying to avoid the ones with peanuts and focus on the ones with cashews instead. Next up, we have Shoshana Greenwald, who said, how to instill in children to trust themselves and to not make them seek your approval. I guess one way is to give unconditional love that doesn't seem dependent on outside circumstances. But children read so deeply into their parents, and there are many values that I do want to actively instill in my children. 
I love this question, Shoshana. And first of all, I actually did this with a Life with Intention online member's daughter, Emily. She was 10 years old in our coaching call, the last one we had of this round of class. And it was so fun to get to work live with a 10-year-old, which is much younger than anyone I've ever worked with before. So I'm still learning how to teach younger kids this work. But I think this is fascinating and I'm so excited. I want to explore this more deeply. I think it would be so fun to start training and teaching kids from a young age, like you said, how to listen to their intuition, how to find that internal alignment and live from their values. So when I worked with Emily, one of the things that I asked her was, first of all, what was stressing her out or what was she thinking a lot about in her life? Which obviously, even just saying the word stress to a 10-year-old, I didn't love trying to even pull that out. But basically, I wanted to find something that was on her mind we could help her with. And she said school was something that was on her mind. So then I asked her, what was really, really, really important to her about school? And as she thought about it, eventually the value of learning came up. So as we spoke about that learning and what that meant to her, we then talked with her mother about how she can help support her daughter with what that learning value looks like that tests and stuff at school that are stressful do not necessarily mean that she's living her value of learning and that if she gets a test back, it's just giving her feedback on how much of that material specifically that she's learned, but doesn't mean that she's done learning that subject because the test has been taken. She can still know more about that subject from even seeing the mistakes that she made on the test, and and then her value for learning will be continuing to grow even after the test has been taken or regardless of a test at all. We also talked about how there's many different types of learning and how you don't have to learn in school specifically, and that's not the only place that only teaches learning, and ways that she can learn new things that she would like to learn. So what's really great about that is as her mother watches her move forward with her work and her schooling, she can actually just help guide her back and forth, back and forth, back from wherever her mind takes her, back to her values of learning to help her to stay focused on what's most important to her personally as a person. And hopefully going forward, she'll learn to do that more and more and be able to bring that to other areas of her life as well. Now we have Sarah Walker 225. He said, your last episode, you touched on the principle that everything we do is selfish. I would love to hear more about this and how we can make choices that bring more light to others rather than taking it away. Thanks, Jess. Okay, so if you guys caught that episode about selfishness, hopefully it was useful. And as she said, it's totally true. I do believe that everyone acts in selfish ways. Now that might bring a lot of red flags that might trigger a lot of people's egos as I say that. However, let's look at this. So if everyone is behaving in a selfish way, there are two sources within all of us. There's the intuition and the ego. So if we're behaving, it really just depends. The selfishness, if it's coming from the intuition, will have a different energy about it, focus and impact versus if we're coming from the ego and the selfishness, energy and impact of the ego selfishness is very different. So the intuition, as I've shared many times before, is the part of us that recognizes that we're all connected. And so if we're all connected, what is good for one of us is good for us all selfishness from the intuition's perspective is not detracting from other people per se. It's not necessarily trying to bolster them up or trying to enforce their own opinions on anyone else, but it is letting everyone else live the lives that they want to live and at the same time honors and supports the life that you want to live and recognizing that what is good for you is also good for everyone else because that is a positive place to be and it's actually really true. It's an abundance mentality. 
So the intuition also at that high frequency, at that high vibrational level may also recognize that it really enjoys doing things that benefit other people and it loves and soaks in that benefit purely and selfishly. So yes, it's so wonderful, for example, I'm going on a trip coming up that you guys are going to hear much more about soon, but I'll just say that it is in part because of the impact that's being positively made based on the lively community. And what's really cool is that I've wanted to do this because I feel good about doing this and I feel so good about doing it. And I recognize that it's selfish. Like I want to do this this trip and this impact that this has been making. And it's so incredible that from that high frequency place, it's not only feeling great for me, but it's also going to be helpful for all of the hundreds or thousands of people that it will benefit in the community that it's happening in as well. So what is good for me is also good for them. And that's intuition selfishness. Meanwhile, there's also ego selfishness, which is a low level, a low frequency. And that one, the ego believes we're all disconnected. And because it feels we're all disconnected, it seeks to get out what it needs, even if it's at the expense of others. So that could be, even energetically, let's say you're not even hurting anyone else, but even energetically, you're thinking about how you taking what you want is somehow limiting others in their own experience of life, which may be true or may not even be true. That could just be a limiting belief. But either way, the ego often thinks that selfishness is like, for example, you must do what I want you to do so that I can be happy. What's really interesting about that is most people in our society today say that selfishness is, let's say, for example, socks on the floor. So you're in a relationship and someone leaves their socks on the floor. The person that's upset about the socks being on the floor is saying that the person who left the socks on the floor is selfish because they're not thinking about the other partner. Now, that is so common in our society, but what I've learned and I've been learning over the last probably five or six months is to actually see what that really is all about. What really is happening if you're saying you need to put your socks away so I can be happy, who's actually selfish there? Is it the person that dropped the socks on the floor or is it the person that's saying, I can only be happy if you put your socks away? I can only be happy if you do something is selfish. It's saying that you have to behave in a ways that I find appropriate so that I can be happy. That is selfish. But when we use the word selfish, we're so often using it from the ego, pointing it at other people and saying, do what I want you to do or you're selfish. So another way of looking at that same scenario though, is that let's say you're coming from the intuition and you recognize that we're all connected. So you, A, could leave the socks on the floor and decide to not make the socks be a reason that the other person can control you. Or you could recognize, wow, it really helps that other person out. They feel so great when I put the socks away. I love feeling great. And from this point in perspective, at the high level, it may be pretty enjoyable to put the socks away knowing it will positively impact someone else, but you're not ultimately doing it for them. You're doing it for the good feeling you're going to have knowing that it's going to help someone else. Still in a selfish place though, still not coming from a place of lack or a place of being put upon, but actually something that's coming from joy. So that is a really long kind of diatribe about that, but hopefully that gives you a little bit more awareness on this selfishness. And I can actually do a whole episode on selfishness if you're interested. 
I'm still unpacking what this really looks like. And I know it's going to trigger so many people thinking about the socks on the floor. Even just thinking about me a year ago and the socks on the floor case, I think I would have such a hard time with my ego getting over the idea that someone should not change their behavior so that I can be happy. But that is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's something I could go into more later if you guys are interested. All right. So now we have Tara Spanagicia who said, I would love to hear your insight on the concept of fulfillment. Do you believe we are innately programmed for discontentment? There always seems to be a struggle in my find my life's purpose or this sense that the grass is greener wherever I'm not. Have you ever dealt with this feeling of not enough? And how did you overcome this to feel fulfilled in your life? Oh, first of all, yes, I totally felt that way. And that's actually why I do the work that I do. I was trying to do everything from the traditional methods of success and it was not working. So let me first say that I believe fulfillment comes from a connection to your intuition in the present moment. So living your values and being connected to your intuition in the present moment is where I believe fulfillment is derived from. We're not necessarily in terms of being programmed from discontent. Are we programmed for it? I don't think we're programmed for discontent. However, I do think we are ever expanding and growing beings. It's not that we're programmed for discontent. I think we're programmed for growth. Does that make sense? And whenever you're programmed for growth, you're always gonna be focusing on new experiences in order to grow. So there is a constant seeking for more. And even if that more is more minimalism, more peace, more silence, more joy, whatever those things, it doesn't have to be more like more stuff. It could even be more presence. So it doesn't have to be external validation or you know ego shiny pennies, but we will be seeking to grow. The discontent is coming from the awareness from an ego's perspective between where we are now and where we want to be. And when the ego looks at that, it feels like it's not enough. And that's why we feel like we're not enough to answer your other question. (laughs) And instead, we can actually look at this as a natural part of our experience on earth. If we are done, then we might as well be dead. So yeah, we do want to keep growing in our beingness and whatever we're seeking. It's then about recognizing we have room to grow and feeling and having access to all the positive feelings we think we're going to have when that new growth has happened right now. So that is the game is how do we get as happy as we think we'll be when that next thing happens so that growth does come to pass right now before it's actually happened. That's the whole game. That is what actually creates the growth in the first place. That's what helps us get to or flow to without forcing and striving to that next growth that we're seeking. So that's what my answer is for your question. There's a lot there. There's actually going to be a new course I'm creating for January and February of 2017 called Flow with Intention, where I'll be explaining more about this and how to do this. But basically, those are my answers to those subjects. And I would say stop letting your ego or just be kind to your ego as it brings up awareness about not being where you want to be. Some of that might be shiny penny stuff and others of it really might be where your intuition wants you to grow and lean into more in the future. That's all okay. We are here to grow and ever evolve. The big game is how to feel as emotionally excited or happy or joyful or peaceful or whatever we think we're going to get once that condition has changed before the condition arises. Next up, we have Margaret Lane Brown, who said, I'd love to hear about your week with Eckhart Tolle. Well, that is a wonderful question, Margaret. I'm going to be sharing my 10 takeaways with you on Thursday. It was a wonderful experience, and I'll go more into it then. 
Now we have Kel who said, I've been a longtime listener and would love to hear your thoughts on the idea of having it all. I'm only 26, but I felt this need to be successful in all areas of my life, school, work, friends, love, yet never feel like I do. One aspect, typically love, always leaves me wanting more. Do you think we can really have it all, or is that just the ego pushing expectations on our lives? Thanks for all the guidance you've already shared. Kel, this is a really, really good question. I think that we're putting two pressures on ourselves unnecessarily. One of them is that we need to have it all, in air quotes I'm saying all, we need to have it all, all at once. But that's impossible since I just shared in the last question that we're always going to be wanting new things, specifically growth. So the things may not be actual stuff in our lives, but we are going to want to keep growing. So what we think we're going to have it all, once we have it, the ceiling becomes our floor. Have you ever heard that phrase? I think Nikki from years ago shared this with me, and I've really always remembered it. Nikki's a listener. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing it. Once you have reached your you know, ceiling, then it becomes the floor. So once you get to that next level, it becomes the groundwork for the level after that. Whatever it is, whether you're expanding or contracting your lives, whatever you're seeking, whether you want more thoughts or less thoughts, more stuff or less stuff, that is always growth. And it's never going to be done. Otherwise, if it's done, you might as well be dead. So of course, we're going to keep going. So that's one thing. And then also, we think that we can only be happy, as I mentioned earlier, when this thing or love is in our lives versus getting ahead of it and feeling that emotion first, finding ways to tap into that emotion before it in that by doing it. So by being in the good place you think you're going to be once it happens, that's how you attract it in your life. That's how it flows into your life. Now, this is the opposite of what we've been taught. We've been taught to be happy on our birthdays. We've been taught to be happy at Christmas. We've not really been learning how to be happy before those things come into our lives, how to do things so that we're so happy that we get the job that we want versus how happy we'll be when we get the job we want. And that, again, is why I'm going to be doing flow with intention. But I'll just say those are my answers to this. It's kind of a great dovetail question to the one before it. Now we have Shan Marie 823 who said, how do you work to stay content in your current circumstances? All, again, really connected to what we've just shared. But of course, to stay content in your current circumstances is such a straightforward way to put it. So thank you for you know simplifying it down to this. For this answer, it's very simple. Connect your intuition for guidance and perspective. Guidance on the next steps and perspective. The perspective of your intuition always has peace in the present moment. That's literally its job is to find and maintain. And it doesn't even find it. It just has peace in the present moment. It has a way of seeing your situation and having peace right where you are. So that is where you want to get tapped into in order to access it where you are in your life. So that writing exercise, as you guys have heard me mention, is my go-to way to tap into that perspective and guidance. And you can read more or listen more at justlively.com slash intuition. Now we have Natalie's got a throwback question for us. She said, when you were running Jess LC, you outlined on your blog a phased approach to getting into stores and selling online, which was basically along the lines of Etsy, consignment, wholesale, and then sales reps. Do you still feel like that's relevant advice or would you do anything different in today's environment? I think that's an interesting question and I can't even say I'm really focused on anything aligned with that. So I just say do whatever flows with you. If you start with Etsy and it goes well, great. If you start with consignment or wholesale and that goes well, great. If you jump straight to sales reps, awesome. 
I don't think that there is a wrong or a right way to do this. It's really going to be what flows for you and your circumstances and what your intuition is calling you towards. So I would say writing to your intuition about what's right for you is probably the most effective way to do this. I know that's the least business answer you've probably ever heard, but I think that business side of things tends to overthink things instead of going to the source. So I would say do what flows and just start trying things and see what feels right. I don't think you can do it wrong or right. That was the path I took and many people do from the smallest to the biggest in terms of scale, but it doesn't mean you have to. It just means that's what I did and what other people do too, but that does not need to be your path. Your intuition knows what's right. Now we have Julie Baxley who said, Hey Jess, I recently re-listened to one of my favorite episodes of The Lively Show, number 121. Are you still doing little things every day to make embodying pleasure a habit? What are those things and how have you incorporated them in your travels? And what advice do you have for someone who's fallen off the pleasure bandwagon? This is a really fun question, Julie. And yes, I am still approaching my life with pleasure, but I'm not thinking about the word pleasure or necessarily in the same ways per se that I used to before. So I'm not deliberately thinking, okay, how am I going to get pleasure in today? And then I kind of make that a to-do list item. I have mentioned over and over again, though, I have been thinking about alignment and really alignment for me is getting into a place of pleasure. So I have been doing that by being focused on alignment and knowing that pleasure is an easy way to tap into alignment. So in my travels, for me, the ways that I have found that given my circumstances are perfume. I know that's super random, but I have this beautiful rollerball perfume by Diptyque that I love using, and it's so beautiful to bring out of my makeup case every day. So that scent, since I can't light candles, most places I am at do not have candles in the space, so I can't really light candles as much as I used to. So perfume is my way of getting scent into my life. I also love putting on my makeup, so I really take some time and effort every day to do that. It's something I care about and brings me joy. I also, like I said, find alignment before taking action listening to positive teachings on YouTube or Audible is one of my favorite ways to do that. I love playing solitaire while listening to teachings too. And one thing that brings me pleasure, since I can't really buy home goods or design aesthetics into my life, I love visiting beautiful restaurants with healthy food. Or if I'm at a place that I'm getting groceries, I love going to a nice grocery store that has beautifully packaged healthy food. So buying well-designed products is pretty much my new way of getting design into my life that makes me really happy. And then eating, working, and staying in beautiful spaces is another way that I find pleasure. Now we have Shop Girl 0007, Julia Devine, who said, I'd like to hear about how your book is coming along. Does flow play a part in your writing process? I love listening to your podcast and look forward to reading your book. Well, thank you, Julia, for asking about it. And it's exciting to hear that you are going to be reading the book as well. It is going along just fine. I have worked on it. The draft has been turned into the editors for a while. I'm having actually a meeting with the editor tomorrow to talk about the next steps in terms of the editing process. And there's been no deadlines with it. So that's as far as flow comes into this. There's no deadlines. It's just flowing as it flows. And what's been really interesting about this as as I've just let it go and I don't sit there stressing out about it or putting some timelines on it and recognizing that my ego would probably say it should have been done months ago, but not actually living that or giving into that voice, I've actually had another project 
project that I've been working on in the last few weeks for you guys coming along that came up much later in the game. It was an idea that was just a little twinkling of an idea a few weeks ago that's now full-fledged like coming to pass. That project may be intertwining and intersecting perfectly with the book process. So it's really awesome to see that as I just had faith that the book was going to work out well, I've noticed that the actual other project that dovetails perfectly, 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 perfectly with the book is actually going to be ready around exactly the same time. And I'm so glad that I didn't force or push the book to be done sooner because it wouldn't have worked out as well as it is right now with this other project. Like I said, I'm excited to share with you. So that is how it's going. It's coming along. I'm just having faith that it's going to be released exactly when it should be released. And I have the other project to work on that I think is going to work out perfectly to be done around the same time. And as they are ready, I'll be sharing, of course, with you here on the show. And I'm thinking it's probably a few weeks out, but like I said, I never know. (laughs) Just seeing what flows. Now we have Steph K who said, hey Jess, I've recently started a relationship. She's three months in. After years of being single and I'm struggling with insecurities and trying not to seek approval and with how to communicate my needs and wants without being nagging. For example, he's on his phone a lot, which I tell him bothers me, but I sound like I'm nagging. Any tips? And do you have any good books or podcasts for being in a relationship? Thank you for, thank you and love your podcast. Well, Steph, I would say, first of all, like give yourself some compassion. First first and foremost, give yourself some compassion. This is something that, of course, as I shared earlier, how much have we been conditioned to when the socks are on the floor, say, hey, the socks are on the floor. You need to clean them up so I can be happy, right? But then who's really being selfish in that place? It's really actually the person that's saying that they can only be happy if the socks are picked up. Now, again, this isn't to say everyone should leave socks on the floor, But it is to recognize that the people that are irked by the socks are probably the ones that have the work to do on themselves, not the person that's leaving the socks on the floor itself. Now, if that's a deal breaker, and this is like, if we're going to extrapolate this to a much bigger issue, like someone getting hurt or someone being emotionally abusive, that doesn't mean that I should just stay with this person because this thing is happening. Not at all. That you know, saying that it's selfish to someone who's being abusive to you is ridiculous, right? Like get out of a situation that's not right for you. And at the same time, on the smaller side, on the smaller scale stuff, that is up for us to recognize. Is this a really big deal breaker or not? And if it's not, how can we get an alignment anyways? So that's my big thing for you here. I would be fascinated, Steph, This is my like really, I want to hear actually. So please write me back and let me know how this goes. Could you spend two weeks or a month focusing in your relationship on how to get into your alignment regardless of what he's doing on his phone? So regardless of how much he's on it, can you focus on how to find pleasure and alignment in your life regardless of his phone use? I basically mean this then, how can you be happy regardless of whether he's on his phone or not? Personally, so filled up with your own life and your own situation and what you're doing in that moment that you're not even bothered about whether he's on the phone or not. I would be curious about what happens, but I have a little thought or curiosity of like, would he be on it less? I don't know if he will or won't, but what I know is that regardless of whether he does or doesn't stay on the phone, you will not be unhappy. And that's the main goal. So please give that a shot and please let me know how it goes. Please let me know what works for you to stay in alignment while he's on his phone and if his own phone use shifts at all because of it. 
Now we have Mallory who said, Jess, do you have any more advice for flowing even when we're surrounded by negative people? I've loved your suggestions on having empathy for our loved ones and also modeling the behavior we want to see. But with the holiday season, at least for me, comes some more interaction with super negative family members. I'd love another strategy or two for maintaining my own flow or even strengthening my relationships with those loved ones or helping them find a happy place when we interact in the coming weeks. Thanks for all you do and share. Your show has been a game changer for me. This is a really great question. And Mallory, I have so much empathy for you because I know what it's like to have difficult relationships with family members. And first of all, I want to give you so much empathy for that full stop. So recognize that you are not the only person that has that. Not everyone does obviously have that issue, but many people do. And besides empathy, because right, that's going to be the first thing, because you're probably going to be triggered. Ramda says, if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. <laughs> so even a super, super advanced spiritual person can still be triggered by their family members. So after you've given yourself all of the empathy you can in the world, find a way to leave the room when you need space. So if you're finding your own alignments getting out, and by the way, start in your alignment as much as possible before you see them. So getting into your pleasure in your alignment, doing your personal you know, mindfulness presence, grand pages of appreciation, gratitude walks, whatever it is for you, find a way to get into a really good place before you go into the event. Recognize you're not going to change them. There's no point in trying. They are who they are. So allowing them to be who they are. That's a big part of this, right? Because it's like I said earlier with the selfishness theme. The selfishness is to say they need to behave in a certain way so I can be happy. And even though you are trying to come from a positive place and you perceive them to be coming from a negative place, it is pretty selfish for us to go in and say, and this is actually, I'm speaking to myself too as I say this to you. Okay, so if we like to think that we have this great way of living and our family member doesn't and we want to increase our interactions and make them more positive because they're so negative, what we're really saying is our family member has to change so that I can be happy, just like the socks on the floor. And it can be really painful because even when you think it doesn't bother you or you don't want it to bother you, deep down there can be some really psychic, hard to find, hard to uncover pain about that. And that's where that empathy comes in to allow it to be there when it happens. But at the same time, we can let our egos get off the high horse of saying, I am positive, they are negative. Even if that's objectively true, the belief is not helping us to allow them to be who they are. So we're immediately going into the experience upstream, not flowing downstream. So that would be my best suggestion is to recognize and allow them to be who they are. Be at the place you want to be at because you've set your tone. You've set your alignment before you've come in. Give yourself empathy if you get knocked out of it, because <laughs> that's probably going to happen at some point, and leave the room when you need space to get back into your alignment. Go to the bathroom and meditate. Go away from the person. Go outside. Go hang out with someone else. Move away from that person if you can in order to retain or regain your alignment when possible. That would be my suggestion. And again, not staying too long if possible too. Sometimes less is more when it comes to really difficult triggering situations. And it would be better for you to see them less and be triggered less and have less reactivity than to stay longer where you think you're gonna get this more deep connection. If it's not actually happening, it's probably doing more harm than good for you or the other person. And it may increase the likelihood that things could escalate to a negative place if you guys kind of typically butt heads. So less is more when possible. Leave the room when you need space. 
give yourself empathy and recognize that us wanting to manipulate the situation, even to be more positive, even to try to change their reaction is actually selfish on our part. And instead, if we can just go in saying, I am committed to keeping my energy where I would like it to be, and I'm committed to allowing them to be exactly where they are, even if they're criticizing me, to allow them to be who they are and give myself the boundaries and space that I need. And if that means I can't even be around them, that's fine. Actually, if you want to hear an episode that's really awesome about boundaries, go check out JessLively.com slash Brene Brown. We go into boundaries with other family members and people like this. So if you do need boundaries, that's a great episode to check out as well. Hopefully that helps you. And just know I have a lot of empathy for you right now. Now we have Kel Serena who said, hi, Jess, big question. What is your relationship to the internet and social media? How do you maintain a healthy balance with these ever-present distractions? Thanks. All right, so this is an interesting question. I used to have much more like obsession with it, with stats, with social media, with the internet. I used to be really attached to it, especially before I did work and worth and recognized that I had a self-worth and work issue. So I used to be super attached to it and it was very hard for me to stay out of it because I always wanted that hit of approval or action or dopamine or whatever I was looking for from that stuff but I'm not nearly as connected to it. First of all, because I have been just recognizing the self-worth and work issues and really let go of, I can't say forever, right? I could still see my ego's thoughts come up about it, but I am far less triggered by it. So I definitely am not as connected to it. And also the last few months of doing the retreats I've done where I take a full week off from internet altogether has really helped me. So these presence retreats have really helped me to not nearly feel as attached to it. So those are my feelings about it. I can't say that everyone should do anything, but those things have helped me be less attached. Decreasing my self-worth and work issues or kind of mostly eliminating them and then taking long periods like a week at a time totally off from it helps me to stay, you know, kind of in it, but not of it. And last but not least, we have Bavikda Matani. I probably butchered that. I'm so sorry about your name. She asked, hey, Jess, what advice do you give someone who's been in a rough patch for a while? Again, I'm going to say it again. Epic empathy and compassion is so huge. This is number one. We all can get into rough patches. They happen. They're just a part of our data collecting. It's helping us to recognize that where we are is not where we want to be and there's somewhere else we'd rather be. Then once we've been there, to stop resisting the fact that we're there and start to ask the question, what is the universe flowing to me in the present moment so we can find some little stream of flow to fall into, even on a moment-to-moment basis, even if it's just one moment a day or a few moments a day, to find the trickle of the flow, where the river is heading, and start to take some action down that period. That is going to be really helpful. Also, sometimes sharing from a place of not trying to complain about it, but to continue to receive the empathy and compassion and remove the feelings of isolation, it can be useful to talk to people. I wouldn't dwell on it with them, but just to share it, to release it can also be really useful. I had a patch like this in the summer, and I did an episode here on The Lively Show about it. If you want to hear more about this, at JessLively.com slash tough. So that's justlively.com slash when flowing gets tough. All right, guys, that's about all the time I have. We have many, many more to go through. I love doing these every month and I will continue to as well. So thank you for those who have asked questions that got answered and those who haven't. You can find me on Instagram at Jess C as in California Lively. 
I do every month a little post where it says a picture and it says, hey guys, doing a call out for your questions. Please leave them here. So feel free to leave it there. And before I share where I'm headed to later this week, I'd like to share a bit about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. As we are moving forward on the secret project that I mentioned to you earlier about that's going to coordinate with the book launch, I have a person that is on the team trying to be still kind of secretive. So it's a little bit of a surprise for you guys when it's ready for you. But there's a project we're working on and we have someone who is hourly and needs to track their time. And so the way that we're doing that is with the FreshBooks app. So not only can I use FreshBooks, not only can VK, our manager here at Operation Business Mojo Manager at JessLively.com and Team Lively, but also our contractors in these other capacities can also track their times. And then I've entered their hourly rate so they can just send us the invoices through our own system and we can track the progress from the second to second, they can use their mobile phone or their desktop to track personally. And it's super, super simple. That's just one of the reasons I love FreshBooks. But as you guys know, FreshBooks is bookkeeping for creatives and entrepreneurs and online business owners. I've loved it, used it since 2012, and can only say, please go check it out if you are not loving your bookkeeping software already at freshbooks.com backslash lively. That will give you a 30-day trial of it. You don't even have to enter a credit card. You just start using it, see what it's like. And if you love it, you can obviously move forward with it like I have. So that is where you go. To get this free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com backslash lively. And now for a sneak peek, guys. This week, I am headed to New Orleans and then to New York. After New York, I go to Africa for a reason that I sort of hinted at earlier this episode, which you'll be hearing much more about in the weeks to come. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 